0: Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is out of Pennsylvania. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. On the evening of August 31st, 2009, Phones all over Pennsylvania started going off. I mean, it was all at the same time and all with the same unfamiliar ring. People were in meetings, hanging out with friends in the middle of eating dinner, and they were all looking around at each other wondering what in the hell would be making all of their phones go off at the exact same time. Naturally, everyone goes to check their phones, only to find that the ring heard all around Pennsylvania was an Amber Alert. Police were looking for a 23-month-old little girl named Nalani Johnson. She's described as a black female with a light complexion, short curly black hair and brown eyes, and it says she's wearing a matching black and floral shirt and skirt with black sandals. They include a photo of Nalani, and she's honestly one of the most beautiful children I have ever seen. And I think it was at that second that the entire state of Pennsylvania fell in love with her. Now, a lot of people think that Amber Alerts are just blanket alerts for any missing children in the area, but it's actually more specific than that. They're designed to alert the public to abductions, This particular alert said that authorities believed Nalani was abducted by a 25-year-old woman named Sharina Nancy. Sharina is described as an Indian-American female with black hair and brown eyes. The alert says that Sharina and Nalani were last seen around 5 p.m. in a 2017 black Toyota Yaris at the intersection of Bryan and Clay Drives, which is a residential area in Penn Hills. They note that the suspect vehicle has both an Uber and a Lyft sticker in the front passenger window, which had everyone wondering, was Nalani abducted by a rideshare driver? Authorities ask that anyone who sees the vehicle, Nalani or Sharina immediately call 911. They don't want to waste even a second of time if it means finding Nalani unharmed. They're genuinely concerned that she might be in danger And locals quickly notice a roadblock set up on Route 22, which is the highway near where she was last seen. They say that police were stopping every car that passed by and checking every vehicle for all of the occupants. Nalani's mom makes a post on Facebook and says that Nalani, Nalani's father Paul, and Paul's friend Justin took an Uber ride and that when the driver stopped, Paul got out of the passenger seat, went around to the back to get Nalani in her car seat out, but before he could the driver drove off with Nalani still in the car. Minutes feel like hours when it comes to a missing child, but according to the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, at 7.26 p.m. that night, an officer riding around the area spots Sharina's vehicle driving north on Roadie Road. Even though almost two and a half hours had gone by, she had just been spotted a little over a mile from where she was last seen. The officer approaches the vehicle and Sharina's inside, but Nalani isn't. And not only is Nalani still missing, but so is her car seat. They immediately take her in for questioning, and according to KDKA, she's initially uncooperative, even pretending like she had no idea who Nalani was. But eventually, she starts talking, and she has one hell of a story to tell. Lindsay Ward from KDKA was able to get a copy of the criminal complaint form that details Sharina's statement. And according to Sharina, Nalani's father, Paul, instructed her to take Nalani and drive her 20 minutes past a gas station off of Route 22 in Monroeville. She claims that Paul showed her a picture of a black female who would flag her down along the side of the road. Sharina claims that she did exactly what she was told, and that she met with a woman who was pulled over on the side of the road, standing outside of a silver SUV with out-of-state plates. The criminal complaint form doesn't include any plate numbers that she might have remembered, but she does say that the state was written in cursive. She says that she gave Nalani and her car seat to the woman, and in exchange for the child, Sharina says that Paul was going to get $10,000. Now, this is a wild-ass story, but so wild that you have to wonder if it might be true. But when you break it down, there are some major issues. Why would Nalani's father trust his rideshare driver in a crime as heinous as selling a child? And even if he did, why would he tell her what was actually going on, let alone in front of his friend Justin? He could have just said something like, Hey, can you drop her off with this lady? She's our nanny and I have to go to work. I mean, it still sounds sketchy, but clearly Sharina is in the business of the sketch. Second of all, this was a Friday evening and it was still light outside. Route 22 is a busy road with a high flow of traffic. The idea that this random woman would accurately spot the correct vehicle containing the child she hopes to purchase seems highly unlikely. And it also seems highly unlikely that Sharina would be able to stop on a dime for a vehicle parked on the side of the road and it just so happened to be the woman in the child buying business and not some random who just ran out of gas. Also, if she was paying such close attention to the license plate that she knew that the state was written in cursive, why didn't she remember any of the giant license plate numbers below it? All of that aside, the glaring issue here is If all of this is true, why would you agree to do it? I'd like to think that most people would immediately call the police if anyone even hinted that they were trying to sell their child. But Sharina is saying that she partook in the transaction and then didn't call anyone. Not before, not during, and not after. And she would have gotten this Amber Alert for the child that she claims to have just helped sell and even still, she never contacted police. Not only did she not contact the police, she literally says that she just went on with her day. According to her, she handed Nalani over to this mystery woman with the out-of-state tags, drove around, smoked some cigarettes, and talked on the phone with her husband, who lives in India. Now, police weren't buying her story for several reasons, but one of them being... The person who called in Nalani's abduction was her father, Paul. Around 5 p.m., Paul called 911 to tell them that his Jitney driver had just taken off with his daughter. Crime Online reports that police said Paul was crying and visibly shaken. A Jitney is essentially just an unlicensed taxi driver. In the Mikey Kudnick case in Baltimore, we heard them referred to as hacks. But in the Pittsburgh area, they're referred to as Jitneys. This means that not only was Sharina an Uber driver and a Lyft driver, as indicated by the stickers in her window, she was also driving around as an unregulated, unlicensed taxi. WTAE reports that before calling 911, Paul tried calling Sharina after she drove off with Nalani, but he couldn't get her to answer the phone. When she wouldn't respond, that's when he called the police. If Paul was really trying to make $10,000 off of the sale of his daughter, why would he call the police and risk them catching Sharina before handing Milani over, knowing that Sharina knew everything? When WTAE reported that Paul called Sharina, some red flags started popping up around the community. If Sharina was just his unlicensed taxi driver, why did Paul have her number? According to the outlet, Sharina wasn't just his Jitney driver. Her and Paul were acquaintances. And the word acquaintances leaves a lot of room for interpretation. How did they know each other? Was she just a driver he used regularly and that's why he had her number? Or was it something more than that? Almost immediately, the rumor mill does what it does. And there's this overwhelming theory that Paul must have had something to do with this. Police start looking into Sharina's wild tale of that baby-buying mystery woman in her silver SUV, and no matter how hard they try, they can't find any evidence to support that she ever existed. The community has several questions and few details, but they do have a news break. Police announced that Sharina isn't just being questioned anymore. She's being charged. And she's being charged with kidnapping, interference with custody of children, and concealment of the whereabouts of a child. She was booked into jail and denied any bond whatsoever and forced to forfeit her passport. And while people are still feeling some type of way about Paul and whatever relation he had to Sharina, In the end, he's been questioned and released. Sharina was not. Within the next 48 hours, police hit the ground running, trying to pinpoint where exactly Sharina went between 5 p.m. when Paul called 911 and 7.26 p.m. when she was stopped on Rhodey Road. According to Amy Wattis and Chris Lovingood of KDKA, she was spotted at 5.13 p.m. in Monroeville, at 5.23 p.m. on CCTV footage inside of a sheets in Murraysville, and by 6 p.m., Sherina was reported to have been near the Chestnut Ridge Resort in Blairsville, and then an hour and 26 minutes later, she was picked up right where she started in Penn Hills. Penn Hills to Monroeville should take about 18 minutes, give or take where you are in the county. She was spotted there at 5.13, so that adds up. It should take around 11 minutes to get from Monroeville to Murraysville, give or take the same factors, and she was seen there at the sheets at 523, so that adds up too. This would have been around the time that she says she exchanged Nalani, but that doesn't really fit. There are no gaps of unaccounted time for that to have taken place. It should take about 32 minutes to get from Murraysville to Chestnut Ridge in Blairsville, and she's reported to have been in that area around 6 p.m., So again, that adds up. What doesn't add up is that to get back to Penn Hills from Blairsville should only have taken around 51 minutes, give or take. But there are 86 minutes between when she got there and when she was stopped. Every other location Sharina went to matched up within minutes of the expected time it would have taken her to get from one place to the next until she drives all the way out to this very rural area and 35 minutes go missing. It's likely that whatever happened to Nalani, wherever she is, it's going to be around that Chestnut Ridge area in Blairsville. Police release another statement and ask that anyone in those areas who even thinks they might have seen Nalani, Sharina, or her vehicle during that time period call 911. They also want the public to keep an eye out for Nalani's missing car seat, which they say is a black and gray high back Evan Flow booster seat with a three point harness. Nalani and her car seat are still missing. And even just finding the car seat might lead them closer to where Nalani might be. I want to emphasize something here. Police aren't putting out a bolo for a silver SUV or releasing sketches of this mystery woman on the side of the highway whom Sharina claims has Nalani. No, they're giving out the mapped locations that Sharina traveled to. They're making it as clear as possible to the public that her story about Paul trying to sell Nalani is complete bullshit. And they don't want anyone chasing unicorns with California plates. They want the public looking for Nalani and her missing car seat locally. A lot of people wondered if maybe she'd had other rideshare drivers between when she took off with Nalani and when she was stopped by police. They want to know whether Nalani might have been in the car when those possible passengers might have been picked up. But Chris Lovinggood from KDKA was able to get a statement from Uber and they say that no one with Sharina's name took any trips on the app that day. Lyft makes a statement shortly thereafter saying that the kidnapping didn't take place while using their app, but regardless, they have permanently banned Sharina from the platform. It doesn't look like anyone took a ride with Sharina after abducting Nalani, but that doesn't mean that she didn't talk to anyone. KDKA was able to get the first of many interviews with Sharina's husband— According to him, they got married back in 2018 and had a daughter a few months later. But shortly after their daughter was born, her husband was taken into immigration custody where he stayed for 11 months until him and his daughter moved back to India. He says that Sharina supports them from the U.S. by ride-sharing and that he spoke to his wife around 7 p.m. on the night that Nalani was abducted. He said that everything seemed fine. I mean, he was actually even on FaceTime for a portion of their call and said that there was no child in the car when he was talking to her. Now, this call would have been about an hour after she said to have been in Blairsville, where that gap of time comes into play. So now it looks like whatever happened to Nalani likely happened in or around Blairsville between 6 p.m. and 7 p.m., He says that during the phone call, everything seemed perfectly normal until Sharina started saying that there were men telling her to get out of the car at gunpoint. And I can only imagine that the men she's referring to are the police who pulled her over 26 minutes after he says the call to his wife started. Sharina's husband was able to speak to her again that night after she was taken into police custody and tells KDKA that she denies ever taking Nalani which is a totally different story than what she told police. And it doesn't seem like Sharina's husband is exactly Team Sharina. He's not rallying for his wife's character or trying to convince everyone that there's no way she could ever do this. Instead, he tells the outlet that, I don't know if she did or if she didn't. One part of me believes that she can. Another part is like, nothing's been found. It has to be solved and you can't make conclusions. You heard that correctly. This woman's husband said, a part of me believes that she can. There is a slew of dumb shit that I'm sure my husband thinks I'm capable of, you know, like backing into the mailbox. But rest assured, none of those involve kidnapping a child or participating in the sale of one. Which begs the question, who in the fuck is this woman? Sharina's husband wasn't the kind of guy who got tired of making statements. In fact, it almost came off as if he enjoyed it. And he talked to Crime Online and told them that after he spoke to police, he checked his wife's Snapchat, scrolled down her friends list, and found none other than Paul Johnson. So now we know Paul is Snapchat friends with the Jitney driver that abducted his toddler and the plot thickens. By September 1st, Nalani's family is all hands on deck. KDKA speaks with Paul's mother, who's picking up 4,000 flyers to hang up and hand out during their searches. She tells the outlet, It's unbelievable. It's a movie scene, and it's my reality right now, and it's surreal. I feel so helpless. But they do everything in their power to get ready for the searches planned for the following morning, and announce a $3,500 reward for any information leading to the whereabouts of Nalani. It storms a lot that night, and it storms for hours. I'm talking five inches of rain in the middle of September, flash flood warnings kind of storm. It was hellacious, and you couldn't ignore the overwhelming worry within the community that Nalani was somewhere out there alone and scared and in the middle of it. The following morning, the cavalry arrives. Not only are the local police, fire, and rescue ready to start their search, so is the FBI's Child Abduction Response Deployment Team, also known as the CARD Team, and they're ready to get down to business. Searches take place all over the Delmont area, and KDKA reports that boats are even seen in the water in New Alexandria. But after a full day of extensive searching, there are still no signs of Nalani or her car seat. Feeling helpless and defeated, but still hopeful, a candlelight vigil is held at Crib Park. WXPI was there and took some somber photos of the family and community members gathering together to hold hands and pray for the safe recovery of Nalani. Another search is held on September 3rd, but it comes to a halt pretty quickly when police announce that they're going to be holding a press conference at 1 p.m. Everyone holds their breath, bracing for the worst, but hoping for the best. The press conference starts, and it is bombshell after bombshell. They announce that Paul and Sharina were actually in an intermittent romantic relationship and had met online. They say that Sharina... Paul, his friend Justin, and Nalani had spent several hours together on the 31st. It turns out that they took Nalani to Kennywood, a local amusement park, before they were heading back to Sharina's house. On their way back, authorities say that an argument ensued between Justin and Sharina and that she stopped the car and told them both to get out. When she did, she drove off before Paul could get the back door open to get Nalani out. Authorities say that the story that Paul sold Nalani has absolutely no credibility and that Sharina had actually given them two different versions of events at this point. Police note in the press conference that they're intentionally withholding some information, a.k.a. keeping it close to the vest, in order to gauge the validity of the tips that are coming in. You know, they're focusing on the right ones and not spending time on unrealistic leads that'll set them back with time. Nalani is almost two. She has no survival skills and wouldn't know how to get help if she needed it. And it's been three days now. They need to find her immediately. While this press conference had people asking even more questions about Paul's relationship with Sharina, for most of the community, it seemed to take the heat off of him as far as culpability, and it started to look like Nalani's abduction was more so some sort of revenge plot against him after that mysterious argument that no one knows the details of. After the press conference, the searches resume and they're in Blairsville now. WXPI reports seeing the FBI in a heavily wooded area in Pine Ridge Park, which is less than a mile from the Chestnut Ridge Resort, that she was said to have been at around 6 p.m. on the night Nalani was abducted. Authorities are seen using dogs, drones, and ATVs, but then it all just stops. And according to Russ Guidati of KDKA, around 4 p.m., crime scene tape is put up. Shortly after the crime scene tape is put up, WTAE reports that the county coroner has been called and it's quickly confirmed that a body was found in the woods. This wasn't one of those times where everyone had to wait around for hours to find out who the body belonged to. They quickly announced that the body found in the woods at Pine Ridge Park was in fact the body of missing 23-month-old Nalani Johnson. A second press conference is held at 7 p.m. that night, just confirming that the body was Nalani's and that her autopsy is scheduled for the next morning. Police can't say much until they know the cause and manner of death, but they do ask that the public respect Nalani's family's privacy at this time. This is where the case kind of tailspins into a million different directions. According to Trib Live, while police were searching the park, They were also searching a house about three miles down the road off of Route 22. According to KDKA, items were seen being taken from that house. And with the influx of reports on the recovery of Nalani's body, people start noticing that the photo of the car she was stopped in on Rhodey Road isn't the same car from the sheet CCTV video. I'll post a side-by-side comparison in Nalani's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley so you can see for yourself. All of this has people wondering if more than one person might be involved in Nalani's abduction and now death. Just when everything seemed to be slowing down as far as the side eyes on Paul, on September 4th, KDKA finds an old petition for a PFA, Protection from Abuse, that Nalani's mom had filed against Paul earlier in the year. The petition for the order alleges that he tampered with her car causing an accident, ripped her pictures off the walls, cleaned out her fridge, stole her shoes and Xbox, held a gun up to his head and threatened to kill himself while Nalani was in the back seat, and that he admitted to almost killing Nalani. It also alleges that he threatened to kill Nalani's mother and anyone she was with, and that he pulled a gun on Nalani's mother's sister when she tried to step in and protect Nalani and her mom from him. WTAE reports that the temporary order ordered Paul out of the home he shared with Nalani's mom, he had to surrender all of his weapons, and he could only have supervised visits with Nalani. Now, Nalani's mom was scheduled to appear in court for the order on April 30th of 2019, but she didn't show up. So the temporary order expired and so did all of its stipulations. The chatter about Paul is erupting all over again, but KDKA is back to updates on the case and report that a source tells them that when Nalani was found, she was still sitting upright, strapped in her car seat, and there were no obvious signs of physical trauma. Had Nalani been left in the woods, strapped in her car seat and left to die? Had she endured that huge storm with no way to move or was she dead before she was ever left out there? Only her autopsy will tell. The Pittsburgh Post-Gazette heads over to Sharina's apartment to see if any neighbors want to talk about the woman they used to live by who's now in jail for kidnapping a girl who was just found deceased in the woods and they're eager to talk. One neighbor says that they frequently heard Sharina and Paul arguing over their relationship. Another said that Sharina told them some wild story about needing to make some quick money because she was trying to adopt her sister's son and that her sister was dying of cancer, which seems odd because Sharina's family was very well off. But there's a third neighbor who said that Sharina and her five-year-old son and his father were living in the apartment together until spring, and that she would often leave him alone in the apartment at night to do who the hell knows what. So let's get this straight. Sharina now has two kids, one who is older than the child who lives in India with her husband, and that child and his father were living with her while she was allegedly ride-sharing to support her husband and younger child in India. Sharina's husband told Crime Online that Sharina and Paul had started talking in March, so that adds up. First baby daddy moves out, and boom, new on again, off again relationship with Paul starts. None of Sharina's neighbors had anything particularly positive to say about her, and it looks like her landlord isn't exactly a fan either, because while she's sitting her whole ass in jail, they file to evict her over $44.66. They want her out. On September 5th, the DA sits down with KDKA and says that he expects Nalani's death to be ruled a homicide, but that they won't make a determination in her cause of death until her medical records and other test results come back. He says it can take up to five weeks, but they're hoping to be able to fast track it. He reaffirms that there were no signs of trauma but adds that there were also no signs that she had died from exposure and says that it's possible that Nalani died the day she was kidnapped and suspects that she was killed prior to being put in the woods. He says that the evidence points to one person and one person only being involved in Nalani's death and that person is Sharina. A candlelight vigil is held that night and it starts off beautifully. WTAE was there for the whole thing and quotes Paul as he addressed the crowd saying, I just want to say thank you. I've never seen so much love in one place. But what started off as a peaceful event didn't end as well. Towards the end of the night, after Nalani's mom showed up, an argument broke up that wound up getting physical it actually escalated to the point where police had to step in and intervene. The pace of this case was 100 miles an hour since Paul made that 911 call, but after the recovery of Nalani's body, it kind of stalls while everyone waits for her autopsy results. Nalani's second birthday passes without her, without a cause of death, and without anyone being charged with it. It isn't until October 25th that WTAE reports that the coroner has finally come to a conclusion. The coroner believes that Nalani was in fact dead before she was left in the park and that her cause of death is officially being listed as homicidal violence of unknown etiology. KDKA adds on to say that the coroner's report noted that there was a yellowish substance in Nalani's stomach and that she had small abrasions on either sides of her cheeks which begs another question, was she smothered with something? With Nalani's death officially being ruled a homicide, Sharina's charges grow to include criminal homicide and abuse of a corpse. Her preliminary hearing was set and moved a few times, but on January 31st of 2020, it's finally heard. And while the forensic pathologist can't say with medical certainty, WXPI reports that they believe that Nalani was suffocated. Sharina's defense? According to KDKA, it was that Sharina was manipulated by a street savvy hustler who plied her with drugs and alcohol, and that Sharina wasn't street savvy. Let's back this bullshit train all the way back up. Sharina ran three rideshare gigs, one of which was unlicensed, managed two families in two different countries, and an on again, off again boyfriend on the side. If anyone is savvy and knows how to hustle, it's Sharina, but what the fuck do I know? Regardless of her hustler defense, all of her charges stick, and WJAC reports that she was set to be formally arraigned on March 3rd. Sharina's trial was set to start on October 29th of 2020, but that never happened. Her trial is currently scheduled to begin on May 11th of this year. WTAE reports that Sharina's defense wants to cross-examine Paul because he says he has a lot more information about what happened on the evening of the 31st, but I have a feeling we're going to learn a lot more than we think we know when this trial finally starts, beginning with that argument, including those two different vehicles and that mysterious house three miles away from the park. As this case progresses and the trial begins, I will be right here and ready to update you. For all photos pertaining to this case, check out Nalani's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Ashley, and join me there tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern where you go live with me and we talk about the twists and turns of this case. If you like your podcast ad-free, head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime, or for just one whole dollar a month, your episodes are totally ad-free. If you need more episodes in your life, for just $5 a month, you get a bonus episode on the first Monday of every month. All your episodes are ad-free, and you'll also receive a forever discount code for all Big Mad True Crime merch. And of course, anytime you sign up, you get instant access to all previous bonus episodes. I'll be bringing you a brand new case a week from today, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out.